I'd like to invite you on a walk. Fiction involving superpowers, whether magical, fantastical, science fiction, or mere superheroics, has finally become normalized. Yet, people seem to ignore the fact that human ability is amazing as it is varied. And maybe that's because our society, our existence, requires a feeling of debt, a feeling of never quite fitting to the standard of perfection to drive it forward so that we lose sight of our amazing abilities. And in a hyper-specialized society, it often does not pay to use most of our abilities. The ability to understand most of what another human is feeling is something almost every human being has. Though we cover it up, we doubt ourselves, and so forget that it is not egotistical to assume you have access to someone else's feelings, since you are part of a collective. And if you found yourself alone for long enough, your feelings would subside eventually. Knowledge, intelligence, builds on itself. In avalanches, in cascades, every little bit of data matters. Every little bit is used. But we often don't see that when we're busy comparing things to a perfect standard. When we buy into the narratives of how learning works, and we see others without seeing all the connections they're making. without all the hours of hard work they've put in. Without all the tiny little details that seem disconnected but are actually an essential part of their knowledge or skill. Recently I seemed to get the concept of a jab cross or one-two in the context of grappling. In boxing, the one-two is a sequence of punches, the jab, which is a straight lead leg forward punch, and the cross, which is a curving punch 
with the back leg, which in boxing corresponds to your dominant hand. And the jab acts as something to fixate your opponent's attention, as well as to test their defenses, while the cross is the exploiting punch, the punch with the power. If this sounds familiar, it's because this is a pattern that is in almost all forms of conflict. In fighting with a shield and a sword or an axe, you have a similar dynamic. We have an image of a shield used horizontally, uh, where the flat of the shield directly faces the enemy, and that makes sense for projectile weapons, when you're protecting yourself against projectile weapons with a shield. However, in a fight between people who are using melee weapons, the shield is best thought of as serving the same function as the jab in boxing. It's the edge that goes forward, not the flat so that it's used almost like a weapon to parry rather than being a static object. And this creates the openings for the sword arm or axe arm to exploit in the same way that your jab creates openings for your cross to exploit. The basic battle drill that all soldiers in the US military and probably almost all modern militaries now go through is the basic battle drill where you have a two-man team one member yells battle buddy cover me while I move and the other covers and what we mean by that is to lay down covering fire Cover is typically used to mean anything that will prevent bullets or shrapnel from hitting you. However, in an open field, when you have no cover, fire might be used as cover so that someone firing at you stops you from firing at them. So the basic battle drill has one person covering the other with fire. By shooting at the enemy, it makes it hard for the enemy to shoot at your friend who's moving. And then once your friend is in place, he'll yell, cover me, or he'll cover you, and you can move, and you'll take turns, kind of like leapfrog. At all times, one is firing, and the other is moving, to exploit a flank or an angle that makes it harder for the enemy to hit you. Again, this mirrors the jab cross, the one-two. I say this because I've encountered this thousands, tens of thousands of times in so many contexts, and yet the thought, the ability to transfer this knowledge to a new context, 
took such a long time. In real-time strategy games, it was something I did often. In games like Defense of the Ancients or League of Legends, I often did something similar with my friends. In sports, uh, you, I think it's even called covering in basketball, in soccer, what you do is you have one person that goes up to a potential interceptor to just kind of maintain your body between them and the person with the ball who you're defending. And then, naturally, you pass the ball back and forth in order to get it to the goal on the other side. So, this pattern is everywhere. I ostensibly know it. I should know it. I know so many names for it. And yet, implementing it in this context, in the context of grappling, was not as intuitive. I had to get hurt. I had to lose in order to really sit down and look at what happened, at what I could have done that I did not do, and that's how I seem to get a better understanding of this fix and flank, or cover and move, or jab cross, depending on who you're talking to. And all these names come with specific maps. Fix and flank, of course, comes from small unit tactics, specifically the infantry unit. The jab cross comes from boxing. Cover and move comes from fire teams. So, they all have their specific mappings that make sense for the context that those names are used. Yet the principle is the same in all of them, but to truly get the principle, you need to have a good idea of how it acts in each context. And so you need a lot of contexts in order to really get to know this one principle. Learning almost everything is kind of like this. And we are generally against it, again, because the incentives are set up for hyper-specialization in academia and in the workplace. Though, if you look at any prolific innovator, this is all they do. They explore many dif different contexts with no mind about who's going to reward them for what, and simply follow their curiosity, follow their pain. Looking at the jab cross, when I asked for advice from Naki, who is a BJJ practitioner, 
in England under the black belt Chris Paynes, he gave me the advice of just doing the jab cross. But in order to understand what that meant to him, I had to look at this specific school of thought in BJJ, which is limited probably to a few hundred people in the world or less, generally associated with the aforementioned Chris Paynes and Preet Mikkelsen from Estonia. So I had to look at what they meant by it, realize that they were bringing this term over from boxing, remember what I'm learning from trying to learn how to box, as well as watching lots of boxing matches. And then remember, finally, what it meant in all the other contexts that I was familiar with. Though, at the time, when I'd received this advice, I had not quite put it together that the jab cross was the very same thing as fix and flank, cover and move, and so on. So it took a while to do the translation, so to speak, and realize what they were talking about. And when I did, everything sort of clicked. Now I understood that for every movement, you want a sort of opposite exploiting movement. So if you're hitting them on the left, you want the capacity to hit them on the right. In the context of grappling, oftentimes an easy way to do this is when you're trying to go up, you can also go down. Uh, grappling has the wonderful added element of this other dimension of up and down that is often underused in grappling because people assume you're already on the ground most of the time and what made it famous was the ground game. But still, the act of standing up and going back down whenever you can or if you're trying to pass someone's guard, the guard is when someone has their legs wrapped around your middle uh, often it's taught that you are the person on the bottom in this case and if you're on the person on the top you're trying to get past their legs so there's all sorts of uh, passes that are taught as moves and techniques to try and pass the legs however you can utilize this jab cross idea to say if I am doing some sort of motion that is putting them down then when their momentum shifts I want some sort of motion that is putting them up because if I'm trying to put them down then they are pushing up so I might as well have some sort of option to go up where going up is in my favor and the same goes for left and right of course but this is the context that I was working in. And I realized for standing takedowns, when two people are standing and uh, you're both trying to get each other on the ground in order to attack them and you want to get them in the ground in such a way that it's in your favor and not theirs, that the same principle applies.
If I'm testing with my left hand, I also want my right hand to be able to take over and do something. Which reminded me of the, the moments, the time, the period of my life when I realized that some sort of bottom-up control was superior in some ways to top-down central control. And that was in a game where there were hierarchies and it was very strategic as well as tactical. And our team decided to give everyone permission to do everything. To contrast with the other team where there was only one person who was allowed to do everything and everyone had to check with that person before doing anything. Our team decided we're smaller. Uh, we don't have time to do all these checks. We're just going to trust everyone to do what's in our best interests. And so because of that, there was chaos. We produced a lot of chaos. And because each person knew what the goal was, they were able to make decisions for themselves in a way that helped all of us and respond much more quickly than someone who was on the team that had to check in. So, this principle happens in the body as well, in the individual. If all your parts have to check in with your reasoning complex, which would be the part of you that usually thinks it's in control, that wants to be in control, then you're going to do things a little slower. When people talk about thinking too much in sports, that's usually what they mean. You're checking in with your higher order self. Whatever is in the prefrontal cortex, maybe. I don't know. So that takes more time. And it needs planning. So when you win using that, typically you have these streamlined systems and series of techniques and sequences that you use, which is all well and good until your opponent realizes what you're doing. And if they know what you're doing, then your program's not going to work. And I say program because I remember being in a player versus player multi-user text-based game where the combat systems required you to basically program your own software to handle most of the combat because it was too fast for, for most human beings to handle. And while I did that for the defensive side, I often took over manually on the offensive side. And because of that, I could exploit the weaknesses, which were simply repeated patterns that everyone else's software had. This is because surprise, as in comedy, is extremely important in conflict. So if I know the sequence of actions that you're going to take, then I will be able to skip ahead in your decision loop 
and ambush you. I'm just realizing that this pattern, one, two, jab, cross, fix and flank, cover and move, is also in corporate business in the form of commoditizing your complement, which is to say, when you have a product, it is rewarding to capture a market, to make the complement to that product free or at least extremely cheap. As an example, milk is the complement of Oreos as well as cereal and vice versa. Fries are a complement of burgers. Notice that both of these were essentially created as complements through marketing in part and the success of certain businesses. But in software, commoditizing your complement involved having a product where the complement to the product is declared to be open for other people to work on so that you're not protecting any patents or anything like that on your complement so that part is cheap but then you maintain control over the main element the main product of yours so this is following again a similar pattern to the jab cross where the jab would be your complement and your main product would be the cross all of these things are elements of a map of something I have knowledge of something I have ability in that I did not connect before. And now that they're connected, it makes everything else I do easier because it simplifies the complexity of dealing with different contexts into a more well-understood principle. This speaks to the rising popularity of the Zettelkasten method the method of taking notes very broadly. In this method, whenever you read something or see something that prompts thoughts in you, you write down whole sentences summarizing your understanding of that moment. And you put it on a note card and you put it in a box and you typically date it. And this was the way it was done in the past, it was kind of an obscure method developed by Nicholas Luhmann, the sociologist, who was very prolific, but is still underappreciated today. But in the last five years, fans of this method have taken that idea and wrote software 
that allows people to do this without really thinking about doing it physically. And on top of that, instead of having to make the connections yourself with the notes, you know, with, with string and whatnot, as well as the numbers, the software writes a graph based on the connections in those notes. And this allows people to make the connections between all their seemingly disparate fields of knowledge, which I'm predicting will mean that every person, like every major innovator, will come up with a field of their own. Because often we call things names that summarize a field as if for the first innovator that field already existed and was taught in school because that's the way we learned it even though most of the time they were just following their curiosity and the field is named in retrospect as others follow their curiosity so similarly I'm predicting that we will see a blossoming of many new fields. Millions, in fact, as people learn to connect the dots in their own maps. As the world gets increasingly complex, given the amount of information we have, it is one of the only ways we can move forward without falling apart mentally because of all the seemingly disparate things that we have to deal with, all the different fields of knowledge in existence. And so synthesizing our information into easy principles allows us to simplify this complexity and learn more in such a way that we may even appear to have superpowers. Looking at Canelo, the boxer, or Sanchai, the Muay Thai fighter, it really appears that they're doing something magical, something that should not be possible. You should probably take a moment to look at either of these individuals on YouTube, C-A-N-E-L-O for Canelo and S-A-E-N-C. H-A-I for Sanchai and it got me thinking that if you have people who live long enough they don't really need superpowers what humans are capable of doing is already ridiculous if you took either of these men and you put them in their sports 30 years ago they would have seemed superheroic impossible even. This is because we're building on all the humans that we were exposed to who came before us. I spend many hours now watching people fight so that I may learn and in the past if you told me that it was possible to learn that way, I would not have believed you. It would have seemed like the superpower 
muscle mimicry like the character Archer or Taskmaster in superhero comics. But it appears to be <laughs> that that is how children learn. And you can do the same thing yourself as long as you open yourself up to be free of judgment, which again, uh, the book The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway is all about this. But looking at someone else teaches you how to move on your own. And so when I'm looking at all these very many different fighters, they are all entering me in their own way, and I am building on them. A way I surprised myself was in looking at a wrestling book that was given to me and looking at one action within it the fireman's carry takedown and pulling it off the next week I don't think I would have ever been able to do that before this year but all those years spent learning carries as a medic for, for moving people as well as dancing and playing sports seem to have resulted in finally being able to look at something on a page like that and translating it to my own context. Sometimes when I notice things like this I weep especially for my inevitable death. It seemed like so much work to get here. Like so much valuable information is in here and that it will go away. Yet I remember watching Canelo and Sunshine and the like, Floyd Mayweather, that they are the result of all the people who came before them, that they learned from them, and that even though it seems like you're starting with nothing as a child, you're actually starting with the knowledge of everyone who came before you. So, when you notice you're learning, when you notice your progress, consider this. All this information is yours and it's mine.